Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Steve Clark. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. And by the way, that introduction song, um, I don't always mention it, but uh, Wayne Bryan is uh, the vocals and his uh, Mike and Bob Bryan. Uh, that song is Let Her Rip. And um, I always say in tennis, let her rip, man. Don't hold back. And uh, that's the way they compete. and That's the way they practice. And along those lines, today we're going to be playing uh, or talking, not playing, I wish I was playing, uh, but we're going to be talking with a Southern California coaching guru um, who's also the father of another American on tour who would let it rip and did so all through the juniors and through college. And I'm talking about Steve Johnson, uh, father of ATP tour, uh, touring pro Stevie Johnson. Steve, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, man, it's, it's, it's a blast. And, uh, you know, getting to be able to talk with folks around the country and uh, different perspectives of sports, um, uh, you know, the sport of tennis. And uh, so one of the things I want to mention here is, uh, you know, when I said uh, to Steve, how you doing down there in Southern Cal? I always find that's kind of a weird question. That's like asking some guy from Michigan who just got back from Hawaii. Hey, how was it? Well, that's kind of a silly question, you know down in Southern Cal with all those. Now, you're the, the director of tennis uh, over at uh, Rancho San Clemente. It's a gorgeous club down there. Uh, Want to mention anything about that facility? It's I've been there, and uh, you know, I've watched you coach and do some things, and it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it's a, it's a very wonderful facility. Uh, I uh, brought my little show down here in 2000 when Stevie was just about 10 and uh, had a great time over the last 15 years. We were just bought this last month by Lifetime Fitness, so uh, we had a single owner, the man who built it, and we are now part of a $4 billion company. They own a, over 100 clubs. Um, I think 25 or so have tennis. So we're in for a major remodel. I believe they're going to tear the club down and rebuild it, resurface all the courts, just turn this into a first-class facility. And we're all very excited about that. Wow. Uh, it's, it's pretty already as it is. I, I can imagine what it's going to look like. So. Yeah, we're very excited. It's it's you know they have a, a fitness building down Laguna Niguel that is just unbelievable, and uh, they're going to basically do that here, just a little smaller, but have this be a tennis club with some fitness. So very exciting. Nice, nice. And just curious, you know, because obviously fitness is so huge. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the mental aspect as well as the fitness. Uh, you know, you want to be stronger than your opponent mentally and physically. Um, is it something that uh, they can use, like, you know, even have it at Saddlebrook where they work with a lot of athletes? So you're going to have facilities like that or be very tennis-specific? Yes, we are going to have trainers as part of our program now. Once, you know, the kids go through, you know, they have their own names for everything, their own program, their own pathway. Uh, it's very similar to mine, so it won't be a big change for us. And uh, we will then have the trainers, you know, working with us, coordinating with us, uh, helping the kids, they have they have such high level, you know, trainers facilities that will become part of it. So, will take us to a whole new level for sure in our junior training and our adult training. Nice, nice. Well, let me uh, just make a couple notes here. If uh, people are listening, want to call in, um, we'll get to you as soon as we can. Um, and uh, you know, so sometimes I'll have to kind of let the thoughts finish and then uh, then get you plugged in so you can ask your questions. Uh, 
But first off, I want to give some context here, you know, uh, both as a coach for Steve and uh, and his son, Stevie. Um, coach Steve, I guess we, we I, you know, we call you Steve, but and you, you make the distinction always calling Stevie, Stevie, right? So we don't get confused. And I'm Steve, you're Steve, and we got a lot of Steves going we on here. Steve so. Yeah, so uh, he, uh, so uh, Coach uh, began uh, tennis late in life, but found his calling in coaching. He began teaching uh, youth and loved it. Uh, and as I mentioned, he's over at uh, Rancho San Clemente. Um, he's also a high-performance USA uh, high-performance coach. And obviously, he's done a good job because uh, he's got uh, Stevie and many others that have gone on to play college uh, to, to prove that. And uh, for context, because, you know, there might be some juniors uh, listening, you know, some of the questions are going to be based on, you know, what is Stevie doing out there and what was his junior uh, years like? But, um, you know, oh, and by the way, he's uh, he's on court right now, didn't you say, Steve? Yeah, he's actually in North Carolina. He's playing Sam Groff. Yeah. So, uh, you guys, if you're watching the tennis channel or whatever that's on right now, <laughs> while you're listening, you're getting an earful and an eyeful of tennis. So, uh, Stevie was one of the top juniors in Southern Cal's entire junior career. He went on to USC, uh, where the team won four straight national championships from 19, uh, 2009 to 2012. And uh, that's obviously, um, I think, prior to that, I think Georgia had only done it, I think. Um, but it's Stanford just um, that it was at Stanford. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, it's just an amazing feat. And, uh, but you know, then he won the individual titles as junior, senior year. So we call that a dynasty, um, you know, <laughs> pure domination. And the thing about it is, and I, and I'll say this, even watching, you know, Stevie grow up when I was coaching at Irvine, you know, and, and then just even through college, he was always a class act on the court. So, you know, we'll probably talk about that a little bit, Steve, uh, you know, that relationship and how important that is for you being a good sport. And, um, he left as uh, USC as the most decorated uh, player in college history. And as a pro, he broke into the top uh, 100 uh, his first year on tour. Um, yeah, and right now, what is he, 37? I think he's 47, 48, 49. He's okay. Just inside of 50 this week, I believe. Yeah, nice, nice. His highest, um, he was 37 when the year started. Nice. That was well, let, good. Well, let me uh, – throw out some questions here right off the bat. Um, and I think, you know, in talking about both you and Stevie as a father's, you know, son dynamic, how did you, what were some keys for you on that? You know, I mean, a lot of times they talk about, you know, as a husband, you don't, or, you know, it's hard to teach your wife, you know, out on the court. I yeah. see it all the time. I get husband wives wanting to play mixed doubles and you work with them, woo, you know, fireworks get going. But, um, you know, and I coach my son and obviously uh, Wayne Bryan, uh, you know, coached his sons. And uh, so, and Dick Leach coached his son. I mean, we, it's, yeah. and Peter Smith now is his. So I, I'm curious, what's your, what are some of the keys for you in that relationship? Um, you know, uh, I had a lot of really good role models uh, growing up since I was, you know, in the business. I had met, you know, Greg Patton. I had met Wayne Bryan. And I had several of my friends in the area who had sons who were good. Uh, who I had a lot of really good men who showed me how they worked with their sons, mostly good ideas. I had a few that I watched, and I'd say, okay, well, that's something I probably don't want to do. Uh, <laughs> my main thing was we did tennis on the court, and then tennis was done. So I, I was coach on the court, but off the court I was dad. So we didn't talk tennis in the car. We didn't talk tennis at breakfast. You know, we kept it separate, and I think that got me a few extra years. Um, I actually was still basically his coach. I was about 16. Uh, most guys lose their sons about 12, 13. They just they don't want to hear it anymore. So 
so uh, when you really. when you say that, I'm going to stop you right there. When you say that, do you have any empirical evidence on that, or is just your is that just your observation? Well, most when you're talking, talk, to, most yeah. everybody I talked to said, yeah, they had to quit teaching their kid at 12 or 13. Interesting. And, uh, so I just kind of sat back and thought about it. And the common denominators were it was like tennis 24 seven. And so mm-hmm. I felt one of the things that would be good would be to be dad as much as possible and coach only at the court. And mm-hmm. uh, it worked for us. Um, Stevie's actually still that way today. Uh, when he's on the court, he's 100% invested. He's all in. But when he leaves, he doesn't want to do tennis. He wants to now talk about the Ducks or the Angels or mm-hmm. whatever else is going on. Um, he's just not He's not a 24-7 tennis guy. He's you know He can compartmentalize it. And uh, that's just who he is. He's... Um, He's, you know, when he went to college, you know, Peter Smith and I talked about that, and Peter kind of followed that rule tool, that rule as well, and he, he did great with him, obviously, moved him forward, and, you know, what a storybook, you know, career for him in college. So that's that's Stevie. Now, again, I, I, I'm not ever going to tell anybody how to do it. I'm just going to tell everybody what I did. I don't think there's a blueprint. I don't think there's a way of doing it. I'm sure you know, I've read Wayne's books, and there's some things that Wayne did that I didn't do. I'm sure there's some things that I do that Wayne didn't do. So, uh, I think the common denominator, though, is the is uh, you know it's full throttle, full fun on the court, and then after that, it's you know let the chips fall where they may. If they get into music or in, you know other interests, right. that's right. Something. Right. The Wayne's boys, yep. you know, Mike and Bob were into music. Stevie was yep. not. Stevie was into other sports. So yep. you know, when I write my book that I'm supposed to write, I'm got people asking me to help me do it, which I like to do. There you we go. Used other we used other sports. Yeah. His way away from tennis, and I'd like to develop athletes first, and then tennis players. So I know mm-hmm. Wayne did. Uh, you know, he liked to be, and the boys are still doing it, and they're very good at it. So uh, different theory there, but anything. I just don't think it should be all in one thing. Yeah. Well, uh, along those lines, um, when did uh, when did Stevie take ownership? So you know, you talk about a parent having to maybe, you know, uh, you know, kind of throw this hint here, or maybe. You know, I, I personally think as a, as a college coach um, or even with my juniors or, you know, young people I work with is that, you know, tennis is a microcosm of life and you learn discipline and you can kind of relate things, you know, uh, to other parts of life. Um, but when did he when did you notice that he took ownership or did you kind of wean your way intentionally, purposely away from it and say, look, you know what, I'm going to I'm not going to take you there. I'm, you're going to have to call today. What was that dynamic like? Um you know, he he started hitting balls at two um, out in the backyard, beach balls and balloons. And then at five, he could actually run a set on his own. So he played his first tournament at five, won his first tournament at seven. So he was already taking ownership. And I was very afraid of being that coach dad who made his kid play. So I actually made him take ownership very early. I would not do things for him. And sometimes I actually was a little rough. I made him cry because I wanted to make him come to me and tell me he wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I know my wife a few times was upset with me because I didn't sign him up. For, I told him I didn't sign him up for a tournament when he was little, but I actually had. But I just said, I want to see if he'll fight to be in it. And he always did. So I kind of did that for me because I didn't want to be the dad mm-hmm. who's nice. played because his dad's a coach. I was, again, I had a lot of role models, and I saw a few of the boys clearly played for their dad. And I did not want to be that. And uh, I was very lucky. Uh, he continued to like it. And he just kept asking me for more. So it was very easy for me then to play my role. So I was I was very fortunate in how, how it went as a child with him. 
That's that's good. Um, when you uh, switching maybe just a little bit now, just in general, you're you're working with the kids at the club, and you know whether it's your high performance or not. I've seen you kind of work with both groups, but uh, let's let's just focus on high performance here, or you know the higher ender kids who are interested in really maybe some of them want to go to college or play pro. Uh, when you work with them, what is your focus? If if you had the if you had a you know if is it a one and a half hour if it's a two hour workout. Uh, what percentage of the time do you do what? You know, is it fun and games? Is it working on technicals? Is it working on point plays? Do you mental work? I mean, what would what would a typical uh, workout be for you? Uh, that's, that's a great question. I've never actually put it in, you know, compartmentalize it that way. But number one is we have fun. You know, I always tell them we're going to have fun today, but we got to get our work done. But uh, I, I actually teach, you know, I'm very technical in the beginning. Uh, my theory is if they have if they want a chance to play, you know, top college and possibly further, that they got to have everything done and mastered by 12. They should have their strokes in order. Uh, 10 is my perfect number. 12 is, I think, still can do it. Um, I guess if I went from there, I would say I would I teach defense first. Uh, if you look at the numbers, you know, in normal 10 is 7 out of 10 points and in errors. So I teach everything on the defensive side first, and then we do the offense because uh, I try to teach them to have a heart have some guts out there, chase balls down. Um, then as they improve, then we kind of go into the offense. And then at that point, I think the mental becomes more a part of it. Now they're in matches. They're actually fighting. They're getting to four all. They're getting to deuce. And so I think, uh, I guess if I had to do it, I'd say that. I know when Stevie went to SC, Peter Smith, you know, we had known each other for years in the business. He and I went through high performance together. Um, he got certified through them back in the day. Um, his comment to me was he had never had a kid come to a, a college team of his that was so defensive, so good defensively. And he said, we're just going to have to do some work on his offense. And uh, that was interesting because I said, well, I took that as a compliment. And uh, Peter obviously helped him go forward and be a little more offensive. And he, he's, he's looking to be very offensive. You know, he plays now on the tour, that's for sure. Yeah, that's uh, – and I'm going to chime in because it's my show. But uh... – <laughs> But one of the things I, I mean, that's really good because one of the things I've uh, I, I started this about 20 years ago, 23 years ago, I had some players that were top. I don't know. One of them was top 10 out of his respective. Uh, he was out of Australia and I had some guys that were top five in the U.S. playing on my team and I'd warm up with them and, you know, they would miss in the first 10 shots. And, uh, you know, then Dick, uh, Dick Bornstead, my assistant at the time, we'd get out and just hit front. We wouldn't miss after a couple hundred shots. And the guys would stand there and you go, well, what's that? A, you know, and I said, guys, what, why would you miss? I mean, what, what's the, you're going for too much and you're part of a warm up and the mentality should be, I'm not going to miss this thing. Right. And then, you know, then you kind of go from there. And I think that's a great uh, focus is the fundamental. And I'm not a defensive player. I'm a, you know, I'm more, you know, more aggressive all court players or baller back in the day. So it's, but the point is, is yeah, I like yeah, I like that focus you have where it's like first your fundamentals. Like it's kind of like you got to have your cardiovascular base down uh, fundamentally to be able to grind forever, and that's that's important. Um, and then you can worry about some other things. What's the same thing with the defensive mindset? And then you can build if you got an athlete, then you can build on that. So um, or vice versa. Some guys come in all all offense, and then uh, but you know it's hard to construct points. You know if uh, if you're being uh, you know, points are over pretty quick. So I think yeah. that's a great, uh, great mindset, especially for the kids. Uh, I think Alan Fox said one thing. He said, uh, uh, too oftentimes kids, uh, they, they go offense when they should be on defense. And I think that's what you're saying is learn how to have grit Correct. and grind and, and, and fight through the points and then yeah. pull the trigger when you got it. Right. 
Well, I've, I've had the for, I've been very fortunate to meet and talk with Alan Fox a few times and read his books, and uh, you know some of that again is from people like that that were ahead of me that I read about, talked about personally, had to be around them. And um, I, a drill that we do quite often here at my place is, you know, we'll send the kids out with one ball, and you know they just got to keep that ball in play. Um, I know I've seen Mike and Bob go out and warm up, and they hit for quite a long time with one ball. They actually can go through volleys to ground strokes. And they never ever miss. I mean, I watched them warm up before, and I was just amazed. So mm. we don't have anybody quite at that level, but it, it's a theory, yeah. it's a mentality. Uh, I want to get the kids to buy into it. I've talked to some of the Spanish coaches, and they said, uh, you know, they do drills with their kids where they, you know, they tell them you can't even start the point until you hit 20 balls. And I said, yeah, that's not going to work if you come to Southern California on a hard court. They hit 20 balls in the whole game. And, yeah, uh, it's a different mentality. So. You know, and well, because America was falling behind, I felt that was a reason. You know, we play on a hard court, and there is a lot of hit a big serve, rip beforehand. Um, you know, when I watch Stevie on TV now, you know, they always talk about Isner, Stevie, Sam Query, you know, Jack. It's all, you know, all they do is have a serve and a forehand, which I personally am offended when they say that because that's not it, but it is what they like to do, which, you know, that's their strength. But, um I'm very defensive-based. I just look at the numbers. Unless the numbers change. Now, when Stevie played on grass, it was different, but that's only for three weeks of the year. Most of the points are going to end in error, and so you just got to make a couple less errors. So my uh, my academy slogan has always been, hit one more ball. Mm-hmm. And that came from uh, years ago when people would ask me, hey, my son's going to play so-and-so. How do I beat him? And I'd say, well, just tell him to hit one more ball in him. And then that became our slogan. So I'm really big right. on that. I'm, it's it's not the exciting. It doesn't make Sports Center top ten when you run four balls down and the guy hits it out, but it, but it gets you the break. That's uh, right. Yeah, so. and uh, you know I'm I'm a hundred percent agreement. Uh, and it's I'll just share a funny story. Is uh, I had um, uh, had a player for me who played uh, two first at the time, and uh, his uh, Shige Fuzik and Roji played years ago when the team was about top three in the country, and then uh, this. Uh, uh, this player played for me uh, later after that, and um, Rai Kashibara and his uh, after practice, we the, the team would be gone, and and he'd say Moichiro, uh, he, or he'd say one more coach, and I'd say I say okay one more, and then we'd hit it. And he goes one more, and I go I go Rai, how do you say one more in in uh, Japanese? And he said well, Moichiro. So I actually have a little saying uh, on some shirts. It's Moichiro one more, and then along those lines, and I just want to say this because you hit the nail on the head is, and I've done this. Um, when I first uh, took over the team up here at Eastern Washington and with Irvine, I tell the story because I had several guys on the team that were top five in the country in the juniors, uh, top 10, top five. And uh, I had the first, one of the first drills I did for the year. I said, okay, guys, because I, I like one ball drills. Like you said, I said, we have one ball and you have to keep the ball going through the entire rotation, which is you start from the baseline. This is 20 something years ago. You start on the baseline. I'll call, go to net, north side, go to net. So the guy goes to net and volleys. And I say, move back. So he has to work back. He actually hit volleys. He's moving backwards in the groundies. And then uh, then the next guy comes to net and back. And then you have to be able to do that, sustain that for five minutes. It took him 45 minutes the first time because I wanted everybody on the team to do it. Everybody, not just one pair. And it took them a long time. Um, after after a couple of times of that, they saw how, how important that was, and it didn't take very long. They got the idea, and it's the idea of being able to control the ball and warm up. So uh, that's exactly the drill I saw Mike and Bob doing. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's exactly it. You know, one would be at the baseline, baseline, then one would go to the net, then he'd go backwards, the other guys would come up, then yeah. the bobs. They never spoke a word. It would almost mm-hmm. look like it was a choreographed move, and it was just like, this is unbelievable. Well, it is because they know what they're doing. They, yeah, exactly. They have that, you know, so if I were to say my guys, hey, we have the five-minute drill, I w- all I had to do is call at the times, but Mike and Bob, yeah. they know exactly, you know, so that's uh, that's great. Exactly when to move and, yeah. you know, you know, I know Wayne was big on that. And, you know, I got to talk to him quite a few times. I listened to him and, you know, I got a hold of Patton early because Greg had left college for a little bit to be a USTA coach and he happened to be Stevie's coach. He was 12 and then uh, he actually went back to Boise State. And he's been there ever since and right. just an incredible person, an incredible guy for any, you know, kid to play for him. And, you know, he always talked about how it's fun and it's all, you know, about, you know, have so much fun out there. And I don't think anybody loves it more than Greg Patton. And uh, it's been great to, you know, have him to bounce things off of. And um, he recently uh, coached his son for four years. His son just graduated, Garrett, and Garrett ended up playing. Yeah, we played one. him. Garrett is, yeah, exactly. Okay. Garrett turned into a heck of a baller. And, uh, and, and his know, last year. And it's an encouragement. Year, he just took off. And, yeah, this is you know, an encouragement to juniors is that uh, yeah. they just, all of a sudden, you know, the court came off and, and Garrett started playing some ball. So. Yeah. You know, Garrett was probably, you know, middle-of-the-road junior coming up most of his life. He could get into the Super Nationals and played well. And then in college, he just blossomed. And it was fun for me because now, because I had a son, so now Greg's son. And he used to call me and just say how cool it must be for my, you know, me as a father to see my son play in college. And I got to return the favor with, with Garrett. And I tell you, we had some of the greatest phone calls ever. We just had nice. so much fun. And, um, you know, the whole college thing to me, you know, we can talk more about that. I'm sure, you know, you're a college coach. All my friends are pretty much college coaches. So I think they have one of the greatest jobs. I think they have the greatest job ever. You know, they run their programs. What you guys all do is, you know, at a great time in these kids' life and know how important you are to them. And I know how important my coach was to me, what Peter Smith meant and will continue to mean for Stevie. Peter Smith is still a part of Stevie's playing. You know, I'll bet you Stevie's on the phone to Peter Smith before he's on the phone to me half the time. Uh, <laughs> and that's the relationship they'll have forever. Uh, and that's that's why it works, you know, and I'm sure you have some kids that you're still very close with, even from back in your days. I remember you from Chapman College. Back yeah. In my house. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, those relationships are everything to guys like Greg Patton, Wayne Bryan, I'm sure to you, I know they are to me with my kids. So it's, it's, it's really, really exciting to see these kids do well and, you know, just keep getting better and seeing where they can go. Yeah. Well, along those lines, um, what, uh, just curious when we talk about the high performance, what, uh, what is, uh, in your estimation, how has junior tennis changed any advice to the parents on this? Um, you know, in terms uh, of what I've seen isn't good. Um, mm-hmm. I, I stepped away from it for quite a while. I have a couple of kids now that I'm working with who are going to pull me back into the, you know, the higher level. Uh, they're 10 and eight and they're very good. And, you know, they're moving up the rankings quickly, and, you know, they want to play nationals. They want to be great. Uh, but I've kind of stepped away after Stevie left to go to college. I kind of stepped back and did the intermediate beginner kids for a few years. I had I had just really had enough of the high-level tournaments and, you know, what goes on and, you know, the commitment it takes was, you know, is exhausting. And so um, what I've seen now when I go back out with the kids I teach is it seems that the parents are making it too important. Um you know, kids miss a ball in the 10s and 12s, and the parents are acting like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to be a pro now. Oh, my gosh, you know, Stanford's not going to call now. SC's not going to call. And I'm having trouble with the fact that I don't see it being – it's not fun. The atmosphere isn't fun in games like it used to be. Um, 
even when Stevie played, you know, it was a little serious sometimes, but I thought the kids still had fun. But uh, the kids are specializing too early for me. I think they're doing too much tennis. I look at their records, and I see they play 25, 30 tournaments, and, you know, they're 10, 11, 12 years old. I'm, I'm just not big on that. I just think they should play other things and have a chance, you know, to athletically learn other things as well and, you know, play tennis when they can as well. But uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I think the numbers I was told is 4% of high school kids play college. So... That's a pretty small number, so I think. Yeah, but well, I think part of that is like what you're saying, though. Is I mean, even even since I was in uh, Southern Cal, you know, m most of the really good players in Southern Cal also played high school tennis. I think they're not now, so then that percentage drops even more. Correct, correct. High school is dropping off. Stevie yeah. played three years. He did not play his senior year. Uh, he won CIF his sophomore and junior year. His junior year, he didn't lose one game. He won every set. He played 6-0 in league. <laughs> I mean, when he played in the tournament, like at Ojai and, you know, that, then he, right. you know, he didn't win every game. But um, it just wasn't the level anymore. But he enjoyed being on the team so much. You know, he didn't want to give that up. And then for him, college was a natural progression because he wants to be on a team. He would he would love to be on a team if there was such a thing as, you know, team tennis year-round. If there was professional tennis teams, he'd be on it. Um, so, you know, his dream is to play Davis Cup. His dream is to play Olympics. If he can get on those teams, you know, that would, you know, that's his biggest dream is to do that. But um, most kids now are saying they are too good for high school tennis. Uh, and then, I mean, I got kids now who are saying it who, I mean, they're not even making super nationals. So it's totally wrong, and they're doing it for the wrong reason. Again, I think Stevie did it to be on the team, to create friendships. You know, I tell everybody, you got to do something at school other than go to school. You know, you got to. You know, be on a team, be in the band, be in a choir, do a play. Don't just go to school and, you know, leave. Go be a part of it. And so, you know, that's just something I try to get my kids to do. So all my kids play high school tennis. I want them in. You know, mm -hmm. win or lose, it doesn't matter. I just want them to be a part of something. And several college coaches that I know appreciate the kids playing high school tennis because that way they understand what a team is. Well, it, this and the thing about that is, and this is how I, I've counseled some better players, is look, you may you may beat somebody 0-0. I mean, Cameron Lindy, I think, lost one match an entire, you know, year down there in Southern Cal. And but it's 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 the type of thing where, yeah, just like Stevie is you may win that 0 and 0 or one and one, but can you do it serving volleying? Can you do it chipping and charging? Can you do it can you beat that guy a different way or that girl a different way? Well then now you're now you're putting yourself in a little out of the comfort zone. So, and then you're part of a team. And I think you're right. That's something that's real important. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, I, I don't know your personal thought. I mean, you can share it, but I know Peter Smith liked kids to have played high school tennis. His boys played high school tennis. You know, they are continuing to play. As a matter of fact, his son Riley, they just won CIF. You know, his son was, you know, their big guy. And he's like 6'6 six, six now. He's a giant. Mm. Um, but they come into school and they actually understand, you know, because some of these kids come in playing tennis only and homeschooling. They struggle finding the classroom. They struggle being at practice on time because they've been in a world where everything was their own on their own time. And, you know, that can be yeah. a real problem. You know, when you got eight, ten guys you're managing and some guy really doesn't know what team means. So the right. I, I know are okay with high school tennis. They like what it does other than the level might not be real high, but other things are invaluable. Right. I think, uh, and, and I'll chime in on there. Um, for example, we homeschool, but we homeschool for different reasons, not right. so Graham can get more tennis. And, uh, you know, like, for example, around here, you know, just because of the area, you know, uh, you know, Graham's 12, but he plays high school, he plays college players, 
you know, to, to get the match level. Um, but there's nothing more than he likes than he wants tennis buddies. And when yeah. he gets, if he could play high school tennis right now, I'd put him on a team, you know, just cause it would be fun for him. And, uh, so, you know, he'll, he'll do it when he gets a chance because I firmly believe that I, I want, uh, I've had people ask, you know, what are you looking for in a player? I, I want somebody who's, you know, it's definitely about uh team. It's, you know, uh, self on the shelf, sacrifice, that sort of thing, you know, um, and you got to learn those skills. And I think, um, when people do the homeschool just for tennis, that's fine. Um, and, but the issue is, uh, they have to, uh, have a, a mindset where, you know, you don't get far in life in many things and particularly in tennis. And I think you could probably speak to this, uh, that when you get out on tour, you got to have friends and you got to feel like you can get along. I think we were talking about that just before the show started where there's some guys out there, they don't have a whole lot of tennis Mormon fuzzies out there. Yeah. And, uh, so it's a matter of, you got those friends to help you. And that's, you know, with Trevor and Mike Saunders and a lot of guys that played at Irvine when I was coaching there, that's, they were, you know, that's their, that's their team. That's their, that's their, uh, uh, fallback emotionally, socially and everything when they're out there grinding on the tour. So, um, anyways, it's way tougher than most people think. I mean, I wouldn't have known. I mean, I don't travel with Stevie a lot. I do go to Indian Wells. I go to Wimbledon. I'm leaving Thursday to go to the, you know, New York for the open, but you know, it's, you're out there by yourself. Um, you know, you sit and look at what Federer and Novak and those guys can do. They take their whole world with them every week. <laughs> you know, Stevie has to leave yeah. his world behind. He doesn't have enough right. money to take everybody. So, you know, he's got his coach. He, you know, he's uh, his girlfriend, Kendall's They will travel with him a little bit now. They're working on that. You know, she can go a little bit. I'm going to New York. Uh, my wife went with him over to uh, Montreal and Cincinnati. I think she's going to go with, I think Michelle, my wife, is going to go with him to Australia. So, you know, we try to work out things so that he's not out there by himself because, you know, he is a, he's a kid who, who gets homesick. You get lonely. And, you know, we, if you lose, you lose a few weeks in a row, it's tougher. And when you're winning, it kind of takes care of everything. But, you know, most people don't realize how long those guys are out there and how much they practice and how much there's downtime, too, you know, recovery time. So, right. Uh, not, probably not what everybody would think. I know I didn't until I saw what he did, and I saw what a what a very difficult job these guys all do. It's, yeah, uh, it's tough mentally and physically. Well, along those lines, because um, it's a good segue. Because my next question, you know, there's a couple things I want to you know get your thoughts on is the whole idea of uh, you know some sections, uh, some sometimes the way tennis tournaments are handled in the U.S. It's you know, you lose and you're out one and done. And it's hard to, you know, you got to wait around for a while for another tournament. Uh, But before I get to those, I want to find, I want to ask you, you know, having been through the different phases, uh, what do you think the U S is doing better than the rest of the world uh, with respect to juniors? Um, And if not, if we're not doing something, what, what's missing? What do we got to fix? Oh, wow. What you mentioned, for example, the the better defensiveness. So that would be one I think you mentioned. Yeah. Well, I guess for me, that, that's a great question, Steve. Um, when, when, I, when I've been around and talked to some of the other guys that Stevie's introduced me to or he's hit with, you know, if I see him at lunch, I'll sit down and talk to him, pick their brains a little bit. America's being so big, you know, just physically, size-wise. Um, our kids aren't always as close as some of the other countries because their countries are much smaller. Um, you know, the French tend to hang with each other. The Germans tend to Oh, you to mean close emotionally, socially yeah, close. Yeah, they grew up together. They were all part of a system. Whereas, you know, here with the guys we have on tour now, they were all pretty much independent. 
You know, mm-hmm. I don't really know John Isner's history. I know he went to Georgia, but I don't know him as a junior, and I've not I've not asked him that. But John was not a part of USDA. He did it on his own. Sam Curry was a little bit because he was in our section, but not fully in. You know, he stayed at home. Right. Stevie was not part of USTA. Jack Sock was part of a Mike Wolf Tennis Academy over in Kansas City. So, you know, they weren't all together growing up under the American flag. They were all privately done. You know, Stevie was with me uh, and so on. Dennis Kudla was up in Washington where he's from. So, you know, they kind of meet each other at this level now when they're here. And, you know, they create some friendships. But the other guys, you know, they've been kind of hanging out, playing with each other, been buddies, you know, for years. And I, I think that's different. You know, I just Americans don't seem to be as tight as the others. I'm sure there are a few guys that are very I mean, Stevie has his close friends on tour, but it's it's just something that I do think we lack. And you know, our our size makes it tough because you know we all kind of stay where we're at. If we can't, I mean, I didn't have to leave. You know, being in Southern Cal, we had the weather, the courts, and enough players. I could always find somebody who could beat Stevie. You know, uh, if you live, you know, in a, in a you know, like where some of these guys are from, they have to move to California or Texas or Florida to find competition. You know, because the kids are really good. So um, I think we're a little behind on being a team. You know, being all one. Uh, we kind of pull together for Davis Cup. Uh, that's really cool. So I hope I hope we do a better job of that. So, uh, yeah, practically, um, this would be, well, let, let's maybe just get more, uh, um, micro oriented. So if we were to just to look at Southern Cal tennis, you know, I mean, obviously I think it, one could argue that Southern Cal tennis is one of the strongest sections in the world, you know, yeah. uh, having the people that have come out of there, but what sets it apart from aside from the 365 days of sunshine, the thousands of courts, you know, jump on a court anytime you want, what sets it apart um, that you think from the rest of the country um, or uh, maybe some things that you've seen in some other parts of the country that Southern Cal could benefit from? Um, for me, with Stevie, what I would find when we traveled in the juniors is that um, some of his friends, like one friend lived in Denver, and that kid's father had to join all three clubs in town because he said they were only allowed two reservation court times per week. So for his kids to play, he had to get three court, me- you know, three club memberships so they could play six days a week. He eventually then, when they were like 12 and 11, he had a son and a daughter. They actually had to move to Texas. It was cheaper to live in Texas and have them go to academy uh, because of just court restrictions. Uh, whereas with us, like you said, we have the sunshine, the courts. I think we have many, many good coaches here. And because we're small, tennis is expensive. Tennis is not a cheap sport by any means, but we actually have the, the, the most, we have the least expensive tennis ever because, like for Stevie, for example, we rarely had to get a hotel. We could always drive to the match and come back home, where some sections are many, many states, so very cost prohibitive. You're, it's either a four or five hour car ride or a plane ride, it's hotels. So I think we've always had an advantage there is that we could find lots of competition and it's not terrible expensive. I think we're right. ahead of it there. I actually had to schedule trips, like we'd go to Santa Barbara, you know, I'd go to San Diego, which I could have driven home from, but we'd stay in a hotel, so Stevie learned how to live in a hotel, you know, train out of a hotel, eat, and whatever, so that when he got older, he would be able to. So, I mean, 
I just I kind of saw that happening. He was pretty good, pretty young. So I just had all this stuff in mind, how I try to manage that. And, you know, he liked it. You know, it was fun for him, so it was easy. So, But, you know, we just there, there, there's just never a weekend where you can't find a tournament down here that you can't get to if you need matches. So right. it's very accessible, and I thought that was a huge advantage for us. Yeah. So uh, one of the things, and I've, you know, up, up here in the PNW is one of the things you described, particularly, uh, you know, in some places, depending on where you are, you have to drive and you're fairly limited. Uh, and you have to have, you know, hotels, et cetera. But, um, you know, obviously sometimes you can get housing with friends and, you know, yeah. and, and that's where you get some social activity, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing uh, just kind of from an outsider, I'd like to maybe get your thought on this uh, outsider in the sense of going back down into Northern Cal, Southern Cal, or if you go to some other areas, he's played Little Mo and you'd play these different, uh, different areas is, um, you know, sometimes the way tournaments are run, uh, for example, uh, you'll have a situation where there's no backdraw. Um, I know in Northern California, for example, they had no backdraw in a tournament. And then not only that, but the weekend, the tournaments go over two weekends so what's what ends up happening is you have um, you know a kid who maybe might lose uh, that weekend and then he can't sign up for the next weekend. So you so even not only one and done, but then you can't go uh, sign up for another tournament. Now in Southern Cal, most of them I think are on on the weekend, and then you can leap, you can play them every week. Um, and I know other sections are that way up in the P and W. There's a lot of backdraws. Uh, I personally, I want to get your thoughts on this. I personally feel um, that, uh, and, and well, I'll finish this thought, but I personally feel that we should get more doubles and even have backdrawn doubles and just getting kids playing more doubles. When you talk about team, that's a great way to, yeah, it's fun and the kids, they don't feel so much pressure. You know, they want to get out there and play, um, but, you know, make it a part that's just as important, you know, for that player development. And then a the second thing is, I think uh, David Fish and some of the people with universal tennis rating have have something there when they talk about making earlier matches more competitive, what's called a competitive threshold. And as players win, then they move on, um, you know, and play the the, the higher ra- uh, rating players. And then that way you don't have matches where you drive for four hours and uh, or in your case, you know, it's not so, so significant, but you drive for three hours and you beat a kid over and oh, and you're 12 and he's eight because the parents think he should play up and he's not even that good, you know? So, <laughs> so, um, that's a lot right there, but thoughts on that. Well, I have some very, very opinionated thoughts on that. Um, let it rip. Uh, the biggest problem we have out here is we don't do back draws. And, uh, when they've tried, um, people pull out. So then you stick around and wait, the guy doesn't come. Now you wait all day. You don't play. You get a bunch of upset parents. And since people aren't traveling, they just realize, you know, the tournament directors just feel like they don't need to. You know, they'll pay their 40 bucks, get their match, and leave, and, you know, they just get their money and move on. Uh, the double thing, which I'm really big on, is if, what happens is, like, out here, you got an 8 o'clock. If you win, you play at 11 o'clock, and then doubles is at 3 o'clock. Well, what happens is the kid loses at 8 o'clock, and the mom or the dad says, look, I'm not sticking around until 3 for doubles. Go tell your partner you hurt your shoulder. You know, tell them we'll pay pay for the doubles, and they leave. And then you look at the backdrop, you look at the doubles draw, and there's a whole bunch of retires or withdraws, you know, because they don't want to stick around all day. So that that's just a time thing. People don't want to invest the whole day. They want to, you know what I mean? So that's what we see. My friend Dave Nowak out here at, who runs La Habra yep. Tennis Center, he had a I great idea. He ran it by me. You know Dave? Oh, very well. 
Yeah, he, you know, he's one of the best. He does everything for the right reason. His idea was he's going to start doing doubles first, and I thought that was great. I thought that was brilliant. He's he's on it. So he he tries to put doubles first in his tournaments and have his singles later. That way, if you want to pull out and leave, it's just on you. But at least, hey, you're there with your partner. I have a problem with that because all the kids that I've coached, you know, because I'm big on doubles because I'm big on sending them to college, and I tell them the college coach doesn't really have time to teach you how to play. He wants to help you get better. So you got to learn how to play doubles. Um, they have fun. It's their chance to have fun. It's a little more fun to have a partner out there. You laugh, you miss, you don't get so mad. So I'm really big on the doubles. Stevie loved playing doubles. You know, I think that was his favorite thing. He had the most success in the juniors. I think he's got nine or ten gold balls in doubles. He's got one gold ball in singles. Um, well, you know, he, he just always wanted to play doubles. That was his. Yeah, let me so. let me jump in there. Is is uh, you know this is you hit the nail on the head. It's people you know hey pull out do this tell them this. I mean, we got the cart before the horse. I mean, the whole idea is yeah. doubles. I mean, think about it. I mean, when a kid before, I, I tell you what, you know, some some parents are thinking, well, I don't want him tired for singles. If your kid can't play doubles and he's too tired for singles, he's out of shape. Well, and then that's so the problem anyways, exactly. Yeah. So if you play doubles first, I mean, what kid wouldn't want to work on his return for a half hour? So right, when you go right. into singles, that you you got it wired, and then your serve and your volley and your and your a little bit a couple groundies here and there. I mean, to me that I mean you know I think Dave did that. And it's a good move, but especially because in college tennis that's what we do now. You play doubles first, and you're right. you're 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 fired up. You're ready to go for your singles, and yeah. that aspect I like of it. Um, regarding the back draws, I just don't understand. I, I think it's education. We need to educate parents. What's really important, you know, is. It's playing more matches, and here's here's where. And I'm not I'm not a, a salesman for the UTR, but I think it just makes sense, you know. However, it gets done, but I think the UTR and the USTA are working together. But here's the deal: the reason people don't play backdraw is maybe not because of the timing so much, but it's because they they said, "Hey, you know, I I came to win the tournament." Well, if you, if you're really that good, you might not have lost first round anyway, or you played somebody that's better that day. But it's a we get better because of competition. And people go out of the backdrop because it, there's no value. And I don't know, I don't care, you know, with all these points and everything they award. Look, the UTR rating, what it does is even if I lose to somebody and it's 6464, my rating goes up. You know, if I lose to someone 6060, it doesn't. But if I, or if I beat somebody 60, that's not a competitive match. So it doesn't go up. But if it's 6464, and even if I lose, so the whole idea is you're playing to get better, not, not avoiding tournaments, not traveling away when you could stay home. Because it rewards competitive thresholds. And I think yeah. when you play, I, I tell all my players, dude, you're playing backdraw, you know, or if it's, right. you know, if it's a gal, young lady, you're playing backdraw because uh, the backdraw is where you get, you know, sometimes you can have a nervous first round. Okay. So what? Sure. But the backdraw, all of a sudden you come firing out, you learn how to compete, you learn how to win. And I think, I think it's a huge mistake, um, you know, for parents to do that. And uh, I think we got to find ways to encourage it. Um, and I'll throw one more thing out there and I'll let you chime in again is I think sportsmanship has to be intentional. So for example, I'm actually going to, for a tournament we have here in the fall, I'm actually going to, as a collegiate coach, I'm going to have a sportsmanship trophy for our tournament because to me, and, and I'm going to have an explanation next to it. So when people walk by, it's like, I want the person who competes fiercely, but is a sportsmanship and has integrity is sportsman and has integrity on the court. In other words, when they watch that person, they're going to say, that person fights like heck. And you know what? Man, they call the lines fair. And man, they're, you know, they're they're just they don't blow up and they've got you know good composure. And that 
that's what this sport's about. And I yeah. think in junior tournaments, if we can reward, be intentional about rewarding it, like, for example, having, I think Little Mo does this very well, where you have, uh, if you have, if you give people trophies for, for uh, winning, I think we need to give them for something that actually lasts longer, and that's their character development. And so, for example, you get a great athlete out there who happens to be a great sport, like Stevie Johnson. And uh, maybe maybe a guy wins the back draw or a girl is in the you know she loses mid mid main draw it doesn't matter but people see that the umpires see it the people around see it and they reward it by giving tokens that are redeemable in the pro shop I mean the pros you know they're they're, they're going to have to spend a little money I mean they make gobs of money on the tournaments anyway and so I think it's more about the kids and not making the money and 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 intentionally promoting sportsmanship uh, your thoughts I couldn't agree more. Um... It should be rewarded. Um, there's some great kids out there. Um, I know when it's Stevie's time, when when the, the way the point system was, if if you won in the main draw, you got X amount of points. In the back draw, you had to, you had to win two matches to get the same amount of points. So our joke was always try not to lose because then you get two tough matches a day instead of one. Um, <laughs> because you know the kids are good now. All the college coaches I knew, they came and watched the kids grind in the back draw because they wanted to see that kid's you know, character. They wanted to see how tough he was. Yeah. What's um, a kid like when he loses? Yeah, you know, how is he? You know, how does he bounce yeah. back? I right. mean, there was a boy in Stevie's year who just would not play back draws. You know, he was able to win tournaments, and if he lost, he went home. And I think that cost him possibly playing in Southern Cal because those coaches all knew, well, this kid doesn't play after he loses. So he ended up going to college somewhere else. And I'm pretty sure that's what it was. I mean, that, that's my opinion. But um, I think most of the kids, I would guess 50 or percent or more of their ranking points came in a back draw going in there and grinding. And seriously, I know when Stevie was in the Nationals as a kid, back draw played at 8, main draw played at 9, back draw played 11. You know, I mean, so you had to get up earlier. You had to play later. You had to play twice. So, but, you know, you, you just did it. I mean that's that was the right thing to do, so I'm 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 constantly amazed out here that parents don't get what you just said that it's all about the competition. Um, I see too many parents playing their kids up, who there's no need to do it. I explain to them that that's a way of ducking. I go, you should have to beat your own peers first, and they always say, you know, they come back with, well, you only get better if you play better people. I said, well, your kid's not winning. All he's doing is learning to lose, and then you tell him it's okay because the kid's two years older than him and a foot taller. I go, let him play his own his age, but see, that's a fear for them. They don't want their 12-year-old to lose to another 11-year-old. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it, it seems like to them it's okay if they lose to a 14-year-old, but I'm a big believer in whatever you do becomes a habit. So the more you lose, the more you lose. So you got to find a level where you can win. And winning's tough. You and I both know what's the most uncomfortable thing about a tennis match serving it out you know go go serve out a match go see what it feels like so tough to do when you're losing all the time you know if you're never really put under the pressure of winning i don't think you're building a player for down the road right when did stevie decide he wanted to go pro when did that click um you know it's kind of funny we tennis channel did a tennisography on stevie's you know tennis career in his life with you know michelle and me and our family and Peter Smith and everybody, and Peter in the movie even says, you know, he goes, Stevie, let's put you on the tour your first semester of your senior year, and then come back in January and play the team, and we'll go for number four, and uh, Stevie did well, he got into the 300s, you know, while he was in college, 
And Peter said he still felt he didn't know that he could be a pro. And uh, I agreed with that. Stevie just, because, you know, we never, it was never his goal. And we joked about it, said he played the U.S. Open one day and all that. But it wasn't the goal. The goal was just, if you're having fun, keep playing, get better, see what happens, see where it goes. And so then I think that semester he took off, he started to believe that he actually could be. And then he won a few matches. So I'm not sure he actually thought he could until he actually got on the tour and started winning matches. That first summer after 2012, he actually won a challenger up north. And I'd like to think that might have put him in his own mind that he belonged. I think I think that would probably be the point I would guess he would say, he, I'm a pro. I won a challenger. So, so let me translate that for maybe some juniors or parents out there. Um, you know, I know uh, variety. I mean, some kids know. I know Mike and Bob knew when they were kids. Um, uh, you know, uh, I know Garrett Patton, you know, felt like his senior year, he wants to give it a shot, you know, after that. Uh, there's, uh, you know, you know, my my son wants to, that's what he wants to do. Um, but there's a variety of things out there. So they're, like you said earlier, there's not a cookie cutter for everything, but it's fueling the passion. That's one thing I love about what Wayne Bryan does, because it helps me recalibrate a lot is, is, you know, backdoor motivation, you know, have do sneaky things to, to put kids uh, in great tennis, you know, watching great tennis and fueling the fire that way. You know, um, you know, it's not always about hitting 1000 balls, although you do have to hit thousands and thousands right. of balls. <laughs> but, no, absolutely. Uh, but I, you know, I think as a child, I think five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds should say they want to win the U.S. Open. You know, yeah. Stevie said that, you know, I'm going to win the U.S. Open. I, Rance Brown, the UCLA women's coach, and I mm-hmm. took him uh, to U.S. Open when he was eight. And, you know, we walked around and Rance would say to him, this is going to be your house someday. This is where you're going to play tennis. Yeah, it's and, motivational. You know, for him, you know, that dream actually is happening. So, uh, but, you know, then when you turn 13, 14, 15, you realize, okay, where I'm at, hey, I can be a good college player. He wanted to go to college. You know, you, Rance, Greg Patton, Wayne, all, you know, all these guys, mostly college coaches, all said, Stevie, why don't you try to go to college and win a team championship? That's really hard to do. Yep. So from a fairly young age, he had in his mind from all my friends, go win an NCAA championship. And then they said, and then as a second goal, try to win a singles. Always team first. And so Stevie said, hey, I would trade both my individuals for a team anytime. You know, because that's just how he is and that's who he was as a kid growing up. So for us, it was it was easy, you know, to have him go that route play on a team, be a part of something bigger than himself. And he seemed to always play better when he was playing for something bigger than himself. I think, I think that's it right there. You know, for yeah. him, uh, Peter Smith jokes only say, you know, he, he had a Superman, you know, uniform on under his SC jersey. When he played for SC, he was just a beast. And, you know, I mean, he, he ended up his junior and senior year winning 72 matches in a row, which the last the other one we could find was we think was a 40-something in a row, which is, that's amazing. So that is really hard to do day to day. I mean, you're going to have some bad days in there. And he's, you know, he found a way to win. So he's a heck of a competitor. But had he been on his own, he may have may have justified in his own mind, you know what, I can lose today. It's okay. But you know what, this is for SC. This is for the guys. This is for Coach Peter. I, I, I got to play. And, you know, I think that I think that helped him get ready for the next level. 
Well, and that's the that's the whole idea behind team team sports, you know, because tennis is individual. But you know, as college coaches, we don't. It's not an individual sport; it's a team sport. And the, and and one of the things you know, I'll tell my guys is, what's the worst case? What's the worst case scenario if you lose a match? You know, in a team match, I you know they say, well, I let my team down. I say, yeah, but everybody still loves you, man. They're still gonna pat. Yeah. They're still your best friend, and and so it takes away that sting, you know, because I mean, I'm competitive as you know, I'm. You just have to talk to my past players. I'm more competitive than most people, but you know, and I'll it'll linger with me. It'll tick me off and all that sort of thing. But when you got some playing doubles and you're out there, um, I, I got a funny story I got to tell you. You know uh, Julian Barham, right? Yeah. So Julian and I were playing, uh, and this is a related thing I tell my guys is we we're playing a tournament. And we hadn't. This was you know this, just the sectionals in Southern Cal, but we hadn't lost a match. You know, we were one in Southern Cal. And we were playing this match, and uh, I won't mention names, but you know, so we're sitting there, and uh, we're <laughs> it's not going well. And Julian is just laying an egg, and uh, as we went over the, we had lost first set, and I go to the, the changeover. I said, uh, Julian, what's going on? He said, Well, I'm feeling lousy. I got this going on, this going on, this going on. I said, Hey, uh, got a news flash for you, buddy. We lose this match, you're gonna really feel lousy driving home, you know. And you got all those things going on, but it's going to really stink. And uh, so the, the whole idea of in that team moment, digging deeper as part of a something like you say, you know, you got these other things, you got to put these things on the shelf. And for the, for the, for the, you know, to go undefeated, to go, to be that team, you know, he stepped it up and, you know, you know him, he's got these hands and this control. I mean, you know, it's just the next two sets were just like kaboing, you know, so, uh, you know, that's uh, one of those things where uh, that digging deep for the sense of the the team and the doubles. And I tell guys, look, you know, worst case scenario, uh, you know, deep down inside, your parents love you, uh, your teammates love you. And it's just part of, you know, Wayne Brown would say this all the time. It, losing is part of winning. It's part of learning. You know, it should be motivating you. Um, and I, 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 I want your thoughts on this. I usually say, and I have a, actually I have a little article I write about this. There's a difference between somebody who loves to win and somebody who hates to lose. And there's a difference between somebody who would rather play well and lose rather than play ugly and win. I'm the latter too. I hate losing and I'd do anything it takes, obviously, with sportsmanship and within the rules right. to win. Um, any thoughts on any of that, for, you know, especially with uh, college tennis or whatnot? Yeah. Um, well, I, I agree with you. Um, the common denominator I found with most of the great players is they hate losing more than they love winning. Um, losing is much more motivating. Um, winning was like, okay, that's a byproduct of my work on the court, my work on the off court, my diet, my sleeping right, drinking right, and all that. So uh, I found, and I'm that way, I will, do, I will do whatever I can within the rules to win because I hate losing. Losing yeah. was just really hard for me. It's really hard for Stevie. Um, I was constantly, people don't always understand this, but as a kid, I was constantly trying to find him losses. And um, that the reason that makes sense is right. I don't want you winning so much that if, if you actually lose a match and people go, oh, my God, that means you're not playing high enough. And if you actually <laughs> win a match and people say, right. oh, my God, that means you're right. playing way over your head. So you got to have some balance. So as much as we did that now, during Stevie's streak of his two years with 72 wins, he then turned pro, and he pretty much lost every week, except for, I think, three times. I think he won a couple of futures and a challenger. So so he actually lost now a lot. So when he actually came out of USC, he had lost many times. He just hadn't lost in college because we didn't want him to not have any losses. I mean, we were very aware that 
he's not going to be ready for what's going to happen when he turns pro because except for two or three guys, everybody loses every week. Right. He got on the tour. He lost. That was the hardest thing for him. I mean, the losing, he just, he didn't know how to lose as much as I tried to have him lose as a junior, as much as Peter Smith tried to help him lose as a college player playing professional, it was still more than he could. It just, you know, it was in his head that I'm not good enough. I can't play. I should go home. When what, in fact he yeah. realized I can lose and I'm still good. Cause he's yeah. And not only that too. Yeah. They don't see in the middle of it. And this is as coaches and parents where we're supposed to help them. Even in the middle of that, you're actually better. You're, you're actually hitting the ball better than you did yesterday. And even though you lost, you know, okay. cause you're, it's just a whole ball game difference now. So oh, now you're okay. actually a better competitor. You're fighting harder. You did the right yeah. thing. You missed the shot, yeah. but you know, yeah. Well, I, my, my joke was, he came home that one time, and I joked him because he had won two uh, challengers that year, and Thomas Burdich had not won a tour event that year. So I said, look, Thomas Burdich lost 24 times this year. You lost 22 times this year. <laughs> I go, Nobody so, beats Robert and Soderling right. 14 times in a row. <laughs> right. So I said, yeah, but here's the problem. He, he's on the tour, and he's losing Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. You're losing Tuesday and Wednesday. So he makes $5 million, and you make $500,000. But the fact is, Thomas Burdich lost ex- he lost as much as you did, because only only Djokovic, Federer, Nadal, whatever, aren't losing every week. So right. I think that helped him with some perspective. That Thomas Burdich is a very good player, but he loses every week. Mm-hmm. He just he <laughs> and that guy's amazing. I mean, right. Stevie played him out of Indian Wells this year. I got to see him on court, and his ball, the ball he hits, is unreal. It's heavy. And, uh, you know, he's good, but he loses every week. You know, he doesn't win five, six tournaments a year. He just, he's not quite there. He's right there with him, but he just can't get past the top four guys. Yeah. If for those of you joining us, uh, you're listening to the uh, Coach Steve Clark show with uh, guest Steve Johnson. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge uh, a few people. Um, one is Events on Fire, offering complete event planning services for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Go to eventsonfire.com. Also, Wilson Sporting Goods, uh, the Racket Sports, particularly. I've been using them for about 25, 30 years. And the Eagle Athletic Fund, that's the EAF uh, for Eastern Washington University, the team behind the teams. Um, Steve, I wanted to find out maybe what's your your definition of success, you know, particularly with uh, even for yourself or just players you work with, and how, how would you measure if success is happening? Uh, I go I go way back to my original roots. I was a baseball basketball player, and I went to John Wooden basketball camps and played ah. basketball through high school. So to me, it's what John Wooden says. Uh, success is being able to reach the best that you can reach. Um, I used to have a number, like I used to attach a number to what success was. you got to be this number, that number, and I realized that's not true. Um, I've had some kids who reached top 100 in our section, and I thought they were as successful as ever with what they had to work with. Mm-hmm. I've had other kids be in the top 10 who I thought weren't as successful because they didn't actually get done what they probably could have. So to me, it's just realizing what you can do and making the most of it. So uh, I don't mean to be vague, but... Uh, no, I got you. You know, I think everybody has a different level. I, I feel successful as a coach and as a person. Uh, I married my wife, Michelle. We went to high school together. Uh, my dream was to have kids. I have a daughter, Allison and Stevie. They love sports. I got to connect with them. You know, I didn't want to be the goofy dad, so I was just praying I had kids who wanted to play sports so I could connect with them. 
<laughs> I was very blessed. My daughter's very athletic too. She was athlete of the year in high school and played college water polo. Oh, water polo, uh, yeah. So I'm, I feel very, very successful. My wife and I have been married 30 years. Um, I have two kids that know what they want to do. They're good humans. Um, I love what I do. I'm in the tennis business. Um, I'm talking to Steve Clark on the show. I'm pretty successful here. I'm getting pretty good. <laughs> so I think I'm doing all right here. Um, yeah. I'm very blessed. Uh, I'm leaving for New York in two days to watch my son play in a Grand Slam. That's awesome. I'm I'm incredibly lucky. You know, like I said, I, I know, you know, again, I've known you for years, Greg, Wayne. There's so many people that I've gotten to know and, you know, use as resources that, uh, you know, their success and, they, and they're all willing to help me. That's what's always been so fun. That's why when you call me, I would absolutely do it. They've, everybody ahead of me has been so happy to help me and, you know, give me advice and help me. So uh, I hope I can give somebody some help in return. Yeah. Well, yeah, again, our, our focus here is trying to encourage uh, and uh, motivate young players, parents and coaches so they can in turn do the same. Um, you know, so as a as a kid, he learned some things he can turn around and help his peers or parents. Uh, likewise, um, I want to ask you, uh, maybe if, uh, switching back to Stevie a little bit, uh, you being involved in his life as a, as a pro to some degree. What let's say maybe a typical day you know, for Stevie right now, and how is that transition from uh, from college? Um, wow. Yeah, I actually spent some days with him when he's home. When he's home, his day is totally different when he's on the road. Uh, when he's home, he lives in Redondo Beach. There's a nice little place down by the beach. He lives there with his girlfriend, and he drives over to Carson. Uh, so he's real close to Carson and LAX, which is that's where he's at a lot. He goes to Carson about 8.30 in the morning. They start stretching, working out about 8.39. They go on a hit till 11, 12. They go grab lunch. They come back. They play points. Then they go back and do fitness, and then more stretching, and then usually an ice bath. So he's there from 8.30 to about 5.30 every day. It's an actual job. He goes home, tries to you know be home for a little bit. He loves to make dinner at home because he doesn't get to do that very much. Uh, he loves to ride his bike down on the beach. You know That's what he does to, to chill a little bit. Uh, does that day after day after day, uh, always working. Uh, Rocket, the trainer for the USTA out of Carson, says Stevie's just as good a worker as ever. He's just out there, loves to work with him, puts his time in, wants to be better. Uh, when he's on the road, like now, he's in North Carolina playing and in New York. He's been gone for like six, seven weeks now straight. He's, you know, you're up in the morning, get breakfast, you're out to the courts, you hit for an hour. You usually get a court for an hour when you're on the tour. Uh, so you do your workout, then you get lunch. You usually get a second hit in the afternoon for an hour, and then he does his fitness, and then it's, you know, dinner, and then his downtime is very important. You gotta rest, you gotta, you know, you gotta have some legs. So it's it's everything's very calculated. You know, the the workout time, the downtime, when he eats, how much he eats, uh, and then the you know, what's really tricky is you never know when you're leaving. You know, you never know when you're leaving the site because you never know when you're gonna lose. Sometimes you lose early, and then you got a whole week off, and then sometimes you get late, and you, you barely get to the next place. So, very tricky, but it, it's an actual job. You know, one of my most fun times is when I go to Wimbledon or the U.S. Open. You know, he gets his hour, and then you know he leaves. He goes and does his workout, whatever, and I just stay in the practice courts and I watch all the guys practice. I'm just always looking for something that I can use. You know, I'm I'm not done learning. I'm trying to find right. out new ways to teach. Like I watch Rafa and fed at Wimbledon every day I could. If they were out there practicing, I went and found them and watched them. And, and I watched some of the kids coming up, you know, what the, you know, what the new Americans are doing, what are they doing different. And, 
you know, I'm just always looking for something. But, you know, I don't relate it directly to Stevie. I might talk to, you know, at the time his coach or I talk to his agent about things I see. And, you know, we try to, you know, all stay in touch a little bit. But, you know, Stevie kind of knows what he needs to do. He's really good about it. He's very focused. He has very high goals. You know, top 50 is great, but that's not it. He would certainly like to crack. You know, he wants to be a top tenner. And so I'm sure he's going to do everything he can to try to achieve that. Yeah, a lot of times, I, from what you said before, you know, when he was, you know, junior, senior, even a uh, year in college, he's not thinking top 10. He's thinking, am I even right for this? And, uh, you know, so your goals change. And, uh, changing. Yep. yeah, so it's, it's okay for those, you know, young guys listening, girls listening that, you know, even if you have a high goal now, sometimes you gotta, you want them to be realistic, you want to be attainable, measurable, and then they kind of change. And all of a sudden you go, you know what, I can do this. And actually I can shoot yeah. for that. And, uh, but it's good to have those way out there that, uh, the, the dreaming. So, yeah. um, well, I yeah. actually say something touching what you just said is I tell all the kids and the parents early when I meet them, I go, how high up your kid goes will be how well willing you guys are all willing to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not willing to drive two, three hours into a hot plate, if you're not willing to play in heat, if you're not willing to play when it's cold, if you're only going to play when it's 72 degrees, you're probably not going to get real far. You know, you got to play in an uncomfortable situation uncomfortable opponent you know they you know i got kids here who you know they sign for a tournament they see the kid they're playing they don't go and i go what happened he goes well my mom doesn't like that kid and so she didn't take me and i'm like okay um i have to you know chat with the parents and say you know what that's the match you have to go play um i know i was told when stevie was a kid by the usda you know high performance coaches they said you know who's the kid stevie dislikes the most and i told them a name and they said well you got to have him play that kid every other week you know and I said, wow, that's kind of tough, but then I understood it. You know, I need to put him in an uncomfortable spot. He's got to play a kid he doesn't like. He doesn't like the way he plays. He, you know, he makes line calls he doesn't agree with. So being uncomfortable is a big part of your ability to get to the next level. And, you know, for Stevie, mainly thing I'm uncomfortable with is just training. Stevie wasn't a really hard worker as a kid for me. Um, he was just very talented, and so he could get by with it. And then when he got to college, he learned what a work ethic was. And now as a pro, we stepped it up even more. But I'm I'm pretty sure I can say he realizes he's going to have to do even more. You know, when I watch Novak or Roger and those guys, I think they're probably doing even more than he is. So you know, I think there's just still more levels for him to get to, and I'm thinking he'll reach them. Yeah, that's good. One of the things, um, and uh, I'll, I'll chime in a little bit, that I work with just about every – I do it with college uh, players as well, but um, – uh, juniors, uh, a lot of times if I'm working camps or clinics or I'll have them all line up and sometimes, I've, you know, maybe 40, 50 kids, I'll have them all line up and then I, I have what's called a jump test. And so I'll ask them, I'll say, okay, guys, uh, uh, their feet will be on the sideline. I say, so I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to jump as far as you can. Or that's not, not really a question, but I'll ask you to do something. Yeah. So they all jump and I have them stop right where they're at. And then I said, okay, a little mark on the court. If it's a dirty court, you kind of make a mark or just get a visual. And uh, without fail, this is, I've been doing this for about 20 years. And uh, so I'm back up and I say, what did, uh, I'll say, okay, now I've got a little carrot for you and I'll pull out something. Okay. Whoever jumps the furthest, you know, or imagine your parents giving you an ice cream on the way home, you know, if you, if you beat it and uh, however I can motivate them. And then they, they almost all beat the mark sometimes by a long shot. And so I'll ask him, I said, what did I, what, what just happened there? What did I ask you to do the, at the beginning? And some kids don't even get that right. They'll say, well, you want us to jump uh, the, the farthest or they'll kind of come up with some 
uh, variation. And, you know, invariably, though, one kid will say, you asked us to jump as far as we could. And my next question is, how come you didn't? And they all look at me like, oh. And uh, I said, well, there's various reasons. And some of them say, well, we weren't motivated. And I said, why should I have to motivate you? Don't you want to be motivated on yourself to jump as far as you can? And they'll go, oh, you know, or I'll say, you know, yeah, motivation is good, but is it really that necessary? In other words, uh, you know, another kid will say, well, we didn't know how far we could. And I said, ah, now we're getting onto something. And uh, so one of the points I, I point to them uh, to is most people, and this is the job of a coach, most people aren't, don't know what they're capable of. And our job is to envision that and see what they can do and say, you know what, you're capable of something very much higher than you think. And that's why I got to push you. So when you talk about this uncomfortableness, and even when you mentioned John Wooden's uh, success is the idea of, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, success is uh, 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 being where you can, uh, let's see, you said, uh, what, what was your? Uh, the best that you can be. Yeah. Um, and my, my point to them is you don't even know what you can be is, you know, what right. that is. And right. uh, so as a, as a coach, I can see that. And I go, you know what? man, you got some skill sets right there, you know, and uh, this is how I envision you. And this is, man, you can really, you got quick feet. You've got this and that, man, jump it up a level. And uh, so to help, and that's our job as coaches. Um, and what you talked about that uncomfortableness is, you know, the best, the fastest way to get better is to fix the weaknesses, is to get in that uncomfortable situation and, and master those things. So. No, I couldn't agree more. There's, you know, I forget what coach said. It was a football coach who said, coach's job is just they see what you don't see and push you the way you wouldn't push yourself so that you can reach the level that you can actually, that you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Very few people can do that on their own. Um, you know, we can talk ourselves out of doing one more time, 10 more times, 20 more times. <laughs> talk myself out of doing one more time, 10 more times. I like that. Yeah, you know, with the coach, yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's so, you know, and again, I think that is our job. Um, I tell kids all the time, I go, I actually say, you have no idea how good you can be, but we're never going to find out if I have to motivate you with a carrot every time. I right. Go, you should just want it, you know. But I think kids nowadays are given rewards a little too much. That's my opinion. Um, it seems like if they do anything, they get a ribbon or an award or, or something. And I, I think it has I think it has a bad, you know, I don't, I don't like what it does overall. Uh, you know, we could even get started on the whole participation trophy thing. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Uh, good. Yeah. Uh, happened last week or whatever. It was all over Facebook. But right. I'm really big on the fact that, you know, the trophies that I won, I won. I earned. I was on a team where I won them. I don't have a participation trophy. I'm 57 years old. There weren't such a thing when I was a kid. Um, I remember when you were at Irvine, and I was in Irvine teaching over there in Woodbridge. Yep. I remember that's when I was my first exposure to kids getting participation trophies. So I don't know if I was slow to hear about it or just whatever. But <laughs> I remember thinking, I walked in and told somebody, I said, this is going to be the downfall of, of America. I mean, that's that's what I actually thought. It's an, yeah, the entitlement. Or, yeah. The entitlement no, I'm, I'm, thing, yeah. Yeah, and dumb it down. It, 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 it dumbs it down. And, uh, you know, a while back I had about 30 kids out there, and I asked them all who has a participation trophy, and every kid's hand went up. And I said, now, how many of you care about them? How many of you are that have them on display? And not one of them did. And then one of the little kids, I think the seven-year-old, actually said, yeah, but my mom really likes it. Said, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> well, the problem. Yeah, uh, yeah. You actually, the one kid was funny. He actually said, 
Yeah, our team came in last place and they gave us a trophy. We stunk. I don't even want that trophy. Yeah, it's so, no, you know, it, they understand. Know. Yeah, they it know. Just, it, you know, it was, it was funny to me that it was parent-driven. You know, some well, parent there wanted every kid to have a trophy because they want them all to be equal because otherwise you hurt their self-esteem and blah, blah, blah. And I'm <laughs> right. You were, you, against you, that. Right, you were in San Diego, I think, at the at the uh, Davis Cup when I was down there uh, with with Wayne, and we're doing the clinics, yep. and uh, it cracks me up because I mean, you probably saw Graham hit a little bit. He's got the one hander, but you know, he's a feist. I mean, the kid works hard. I mean, he's just he works extremely hard. But uh, the funny thing is, I remember he and I were talking about this, and and Wayne talked about this when I was on the radio with him. Is, uh, you know, he he calls people losers. You know, he says, get out of there, All loser, the you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, some people who hand out participation trophies would be appalled. But the oh, whole yeah. point is, is if, if you can't handle being called a loser in a fun way, um, yeah. when it's all fun and games, it's going to be really hard to lose when it really matters. Yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. you have to learn how to lose. And that's why he does it. It's just, you know, yeah. it's poking fun and oh, it's having a little Wayne, fun. Wayne's and- not afraid of being politically incorrect. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I even cringe some yeah. things he says. But the fact is, he should be able to. I just, I, I remember that day we were down there in San Diego, we were doing that. And I remember looking at whoever I was with and saying, oh, God, I'd get so many phone calls. My owner would get so many phone calls if I said that. I'd have so <laughs> many upset parents. I'd be answering for, for weeks if I said right. that. But it shouldn't be. I totally agree with you that, you know, Wayne should, and he is joking, but yeah. uh, I have had people come in and say that to me, you know, you know, why, why did you call him a loser? I said, he lost because I say, you know, winners move up, losers move down. And that just one mom was watching. She thought that was inappropriate that I said that. And I said, well, I'm sorry you think that, but I mean, so That's... I have actually had to answer that, but you know, Wayne right. lets it fly and, but yeah. you know, but he's got a big <laughs> laugh while he's doing it. I right. Mean, exactly. It's the, it's the delivery. But so, that's just Wayne. Wayne Wayne, yeah. Wayne just goes right after it. And, I mean, it's kind of funny when I've been with Wayne. A kid will walk up, and, you know, somebody will go, oh, I want you to meet my son Bobby. And he goes, you any good? And that's just the first thing <laughs> Wayne says. So you any right. good? And most of the kids go, uh, uh, uh. And, you know, I'm like, gee, that's kind of rough. But, you know, he's just, you know, he's just trying to have fun with them. But that's, that's right. Wayne. It's great. Right. I, I know you want to watch uh, Stevie on the on the uh, on the match there, um, but let me uh, just ask your opinion on if you had to pick some key characteristics of a champion, um, what would those be? Um, for me, uh, heart and competitiveness have to be at the top, um, especially when you get to the pro level, because everybody's good, and it's just it's it's going to come down to a couple of points. And so it's just it's it's finding a way to win those couple of points. Um, I, I read a report two weeks ago that science has now proven that professional tennis players are the best athletes of all the pro athletes, and that Djokovic is the best athlete on the planet. I obviously am not going to argue with that. I see what they have to do: returning 140 mile an hour serves, 100 mile an hour ground strokes. So I think heart, competitiveness, athleticism, and then obviously you got to have your tennis skills. But uh, that's what I would put at the top. I'm still going to stick with competitiveness. You just you got to be a fighter. It's it's so tough out there. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, for me down here in San Clemente, my kids are all very. I mean, they're pretty privileged. You know, where they live, what they have, and sometimes that's that's tough on them because they don't have to fight for anything. And I say, well, that's why we play sports. You know, we need something to have to struggle at. We need something to fight for. And I go, it's good for you because we we do all have so much. We're very blessed. We have nice houses. We have cars. We have 
great weather. So I think that's a it's kind of a double-edged sword. You, you got to have courts and rackets and good shoes and money to play tournaments, but you got to learn how to fight. So you know if they find that balance. I mean, Stevie can fight. I mean, if if you listen when they're talking about it on TV, they always say he's just a, one of the best competitors on the tour, and that's one of the things that I am the most proud of is that he is that competitor. And, uh, you know, he'll lose a tough match. He'll be down, but he's going to come back. And he'll get back after it. So, it's- Yeah, there's there's studies that talk about uh, grit, um, this this concept that you just, you just won't, like a pit bull, you just don't let go. Um, yeah. And then uh, re- something you mentioned earlier about the team um, is that uh, they talk about, you know, a lot of times we talk about as a team, there's this extra something that helps motivate teams. A lot of times it was maybe the goal of the team, together motivates them but actually what they've found recently is in studying a lot of athletes and teams is it's called social cohesion and it's this type of thing where when you actually are close to your teammates outside of the sport um or even on the court as opposed to hey we have the same goal we're going to win conference or we're going to do this what motivates and what creates this extra something to win more is social cohesion and this goes back to the whole idea of playing doubles you know, enjoying the people you're with when you're on the court, you know, and being able to handle losses and, and all yeah. those things together. So I just wanted to throw that in there because you mentioned a study out there and I'd be curious to get that. If you can maybe email me, um, uh, you know, about that, the name of that study, I'd be interested in reading that. Yeah. I, I saw it on Facebook, just read it real quick and I, it's yeah. gone, but I saw that and I was just like, well, that's cool because you know, I'm a little biased. Obviously, I'm in tennis. I think we are incredible. I think that the tennis players of today, you know, yeah. of yesteryear, I don't think so. They were, you know, five foot ten, 145 pounds, and they just ran it in, bodied a little bit. Now, with what you have to do to compete, the serves, the, the, the you know, the speed of the forehands, the speed of the serves, are so outrageous. I think it's just crazy. It's just such a high level. So, um, and I, like I said, I see what they do. I'm actually in their world for a few weeks every year and watching what these guys do. And it's, it's truly amazing what they have to do. Yeah. Well, we're, uh, we're heading towards the end of our show here. And I just wanted to say, uh, Steve, just, uh, thanks so much for, for joining me. And, uh, and I know that people tuning in and, or you can catch this on podcast if you weren't listening live. Um, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and, uh, when you talk to Stevie, say hello. Um, and uh, all the other guys and gals down in Southern California there. You bet, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been great. Thank you. Yeah. And so, uh, as I say, I end the show um, on a couple things, a couple sayings sometimes, is uh, if you always give your best, you'll sometimes play your best and one time be the best. We can unpack that. But the bottom line is you got to give your best all the time to even have a chance to play your best sometimes and one time be the best. And I'll leave you with this final note before we go into our song, which again is uh, done by the uh, Mike and Bob Bryan, is, is your normal inspiring? You know, a lot of times we see matches out there and what people do is when you, when you work out on the court, when you are competing on the court, is it inspiring? So until next time, uh, let her rip and uh, thanks for joining us. Bye for now. <laughs>